happy birthday, William Shakespeare, poet, playwright, actor. We're here today to celebrate the Bard's birthday. Born in 1564, he died in 1616 at the age of 52. He was married when he was just 18. It was a bit of a rushed marriage because his fiancee, Anne Hathaway, was already pregnant with their first daughter, Susanna. They subsequently had two more children. And although his family always lived in Stratford-upon-Avon, a two- or three-day journey from London, by the time he was 28, he had an established reputation in London as a poet, playwright, and actor. He was also a founding member of Lord Chamberlain's Men, a company of actors. And he was the company's regular dramatist, producing on average two plays a year for almost 20 years. So in celebration of the Bard's birthday, we would like to share with you a few scenes, a few sonnets, and a few songs. It was a lover and his lass. This song is a celebration of young love in springtime, so it fits the woodland setting of the romantic comedy as you like it. It is a Shakespeare song in the pastoral tradition, celebrating the countryside and presenting an idealized vision of the rural landscape as a place for young lovers to frolic love, and be young. It was a lover and his lass, with a hey and a ho and a hey nanny no, that o'er the green cornfield did pass in springtime, the only pretty ring time. Between the acres of the rye, with a hey and a ho and a hey nanny no, these pretty country folks would lie in springtime, the only pretty ring time. This carol they began that hour with a hey and a ho and a hey nanny no, how that a life was but a flower in springtime, the only pretty ring time. And therefore take the present time with a hey and a ho and a hey nanny no, for love is crowned with the prime in springtime, the only pretty ring time. When birds do sing, hey, ding-a-ding-ding, -ding. sweet lovers love the springtime. In Twelfth Night, the first song sung comes in Act Two, Scene Three when Festy sings a love song, a love song tinged with loss. Oh, mistress mine, where are you roaming? Oh, stay and hear your true love's coming that can sing both high and low. Trip no further, pretty sweeting. Journeys end in lovers' meeting. Every wise man's son doth know. 
what is love? Tis not hereafter. Present mirth hath present laughter. What's to come is still unsure. In delay there lies no plenty. Then come, kiss me, sweet and twenty. Youth's a stuff will not endure. Sonnet 98. Usually, spring is the time when there is happiness in the world. But to the speaker, this spring does not bring any sign of joy. This sonnet presents the agony of a lover whose friend is away during spring. The speaker fully understands how to welcome the spring, but his friend's absence has made him forget to appreciate the beauty of Mother Nature. From you have I been absent in the spring, when proud-pied April, dressed in all his trim, hath put a spirit of youth in everything, that heavy Saturn laughed and leapt with him. Yet nor the lays of birds, nor the sweet smell of different flowers in odour and in hue, could make me any summer's story tell, or from their proud lap pluck them where they grew. Nor did I wonder at the lilies white, nor praise the deep vermilion in the rose. They were but sweet, but figures of delight, drawn after you, you pattern of all those. Yet seemed it winter still and you away, as with your shadow I with these did play. Sonnet 116. In this sonnet, Shakespeare uses some of his most familiar themes, time, love, and the nature of relationships. He delves into what true love is and whether or not it's real. He also brings elements of time into the poem. He emphasizes the fact that time knows no boundaries, and even if the people in the relationship change, the love does not. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, Though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come, love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved.
Sonnet 29. The first part of this poem details the speaker's depression. He despairs over his state, his fate, and his difference from other luckier men. But the second half of the poem asserts, this sadness goes away when he remembers his love. It speaks to all those who have felt that they are worthless or overshadowed by others they deem to be superior, but who can overcome dark feelings by thinking of someone they love, who loves them in return. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state, and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries, and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope, with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising, haply I think on thee, and then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. In Act One, Scene One of Antony and Cleopatra, a discussion between the two lovers is interrupted by the arrival of news from Rome. Cleopatra teases Antony about what the news could be. A scolding from his wife, Fulvia, perhaps? Or orders from Caesar? Antony refuses to hear the news, claiming he cares only for Cleopatra. If it be love indeed, tell me how much. There's beggary in the love that can be reckoned. I'll set a born how far to be beloved. Then must thou needs find out new heaven, new earth. News, my good lord, from Rome. Greet me. The sum? Nay, hear them, Antony. Fulvia perchance is angry, or... Who knows if the scarce-bearded Caesar hath not sent his powerful mandate to you. Do this, or this. Take in that kingdom, and enfranchise that. Perform it, or else we damn thee. How, my love? Perchance, nay, and most like. You must not say her longer. Your dismission is come from Caesar. Therefore hear it, Antony. Where's Fulvia's process? Caesar's, I would say. Both. Call in the messengers. As I am Egypt's queen, thou blushest, Antony. And that blood of thine is Caesar's homager. Else so thy cheek pays shame when shrill-tongued Fulvia scolds. The messengers. Let Rome and Tiber melt, and the wide arch of the ranged empire fall. Here is my space. Kingdoms are clay. Our dungy earth alike feeds beast as man. The nobleness of life is to do thus. 
when such a mutual pair and such a twain can do it, and which I bind on pain of punishment, the world to wheat we stand up peerless. Excellent falsehood. Why did he marry Fulvia and not love her? I'll seem the fool I am not. Antony will be himself. But stirred by Cleopatra, now for the love of love and her soft hours, let's not confound the time with conference harsh. There's not a minute of our lives should stretch without some pleasure now. What sport tonight? Here, the ambassadors. By wrangling queen, whom everything becomes to chide, to laugh, to weep, whose every passion fully strives to make itself in thee fair and admired. No messenger, but thine. And all alone tonight will wander through the streets and note the qualities of people. Come, my queen. In Act One, Scene Two of The Two Gentlemen of Verona, Julia's maid, Lucetta, has presented her with a love letter from Proteus, the man Julia secretly admires. Julia, embarrassed to admit her feelings in front of Lucetta, pretends she does not want the letter and rips it up. As soon as Lucetta leaves, Julia hurries to pick up the pieces. Oh, hateful hands, to tear such loving words. Injurious wasps, to feed on such sweet honey and kill the bees that yield it with your stings. I'll kiss each several paper for amends. Look, here is writ, kind Julia. Unkind Julia, as in revenge of thy ingratitude, I throw thy name against the bruising stones, trampling contemptuously on thy disdain. And here is writ, love wounded Proteus. Poor wounded name, my bosom as a bed shall lodge thee till thy wound be thoroughly healed. And thus I search it with a sovereign kiss. But twice or thrice was Proteus written down. Be calm, good wind, blow not a word away, till I have found each letter and the letter except mine own name. That some whirlwind bear unto a ragged, fearful, hanging rock, and throw it thence into the raging sea. Lo, here in one line is his name twice writ. Poor forlorn Proteus, Passionate Proteus to the sweet Julia. That I'll tear away. And yet I will not, since so prettily he couples it to his complaining names. Thus will I fold them one upon another. Now kiss, embrace, contend, do what you will. In Act Three, Scene One of The Tempest, Ferdinand, son and heir to the King of Naples, has been shipwrecked on a remote island. There he meets a young woman named Miranda. 
Her father, Prospero, pretends to dislike Ferdinand and has tasked him with manual labor, but secretly he hopes the young people will fall in love. In this scene between Ferdinand and Miranda, Prospero gets his wish. Alas, now, pray you, work not so hard. I would the lightning had burnt up those logs that you are enjoined to pile. Pray, set it down and rest you. When this burns, twill weep for having wearied you. My father is hard at study. Pray now, rest yourself. He's safe for these three hours. Oh, most dear mistress. The sun will set before I shall discharge what I must strive to do. If you'll sit down, I'll bear your logs the while. Pray, give me that. I'll carry it to the pile. No, precious creature. I'd rather crack my sinews, break my back, than you should such dishonor undergo while I sit lazy by. It would become me as well as it does you, and I should do it with much more ease, for my good will is to it, and yours it is against. You look wearily. No, noble mistress, tis fresh morning with me when you are by at night. I do beseech you, chiefly, that I might set it in my prayers. What is your name? Miranda. Oh, my father, I have broke your hest to say so. Admired Miranda. Indeed, the top of admiration, worth what's dearest to the world. Full many a lady I have eyed with best regard. And many a time the harmony of their tongues hath into bondage brought my too diligent ear. For several virtues have I liked several women, never any with so full soul, but some defect in her did quarrel with the noblest grace she owed, and put it to the foil. But you, oh, you, so perfect and so peerless, are created of every creature's best. I do not know one of my sex, no woman's face remember, save from my glass mine own, nor have I seen more that I may call men than you, good friend, and my dear father, how features are abroad I am skillless of, but by my modesty, the jewel in my dower, I would not wish any companion in the world but you, nor can imagination form a shape besides yourself to like of. But I prattle something too wildly, and my father's precepts I therein do forget. I am, in my condition, a prince, Miranda. I do think a king. I would not so, and would no more endure this wooden slavery than to suffer the flesh fly blow my mouth. Hear my soul speak. The very instant that I saw you did my heart fly to your service, and there resides, to make me slave to it. And for your sake am I this patient logman. Do you love me? O oh, heaven, O oh, earth, bear witness to this sound and crown what I profess with kind event if I speak true, if hollowly invert what best is boded me to mischief. I, beyond all limit of what else in the world, do love, prize, honor you. I am a fool to weep at what I am glad of. Wherefore weep you? At mine unworthiness, 
that dare not offer what I desire to give, and much less take what I shall die to want. But this is trifling, and all the more it seeks to hide itself, the bigger bulk it shows. Hence, bashful cunning, and prompt me, plain and holy innocence. I am your wife, if you will marry me. If not, I'll die your maid. To be your fellow, you may deny me, but I'll be your servant, whether you will or no. My mistress, dearest, and I thus humble ever. My husband, then. I, with a heart as willing as bondage of freedom. Here's my hand. And mine, with my heart in it. And now farewell, till half an hour hence. A thousand thousand. Thank you for listening. Stop by again.